Hi, I'm John Kim. And I'm Buddy Wakefield. We're two non-blondes in a podcast dedicated to probably awful people just trying to get shit right. Buddy's going to open each week with a poem that doesn't suck to set the table for all of us to put our cards on it. And John will stay numb to his feelings, but open to discourse. Quick disclaimer, this unedited podcast never gets in the way of an episode going wherever it wants to go. When God doesn't like you, you're fucked. When you find out you are God and he still doesn't like you, shit starts to get twisted. People say awful things about God. You walk like a girl, act like a fag, or going to hell. Wait, what? Do you know who I am? I wrote a book about love more than once. And I managed to crank each one out on the words devils are made from. How do you think the killer got in here? You can't see light unless something stops it. I don't know who got in whose way, but I'm not convinced peace doesn't feel dangerous first, doesn't walk in and massacre the shame it came from just to know itself. This has always been happening. Long before my father found long before my father made fun of me. A testament to old people saying awful things about the words we write to read between their contradictions. All I did was speak a language I could understand from a body I couldn't. First, I learned the words that don't hurt because they command the ones that do. Seeing clearly is cloudy business. I know it's been hard for the gunman to read me. Shoot, I get tired of explaining myself, but I don't mind spelling it out for the people who made me famous. I'll speak slower. Did you know that there's a stretch of highway called the loneliest road in America? Highway 50, halfway between the North and the South, state of Nevada, the gambler. Now, that has nothing to do with God having his thumb on the pulse of Orlando. Until it does, until we connect the dots, the twisted days you drove us here, the wind tunnels. I haven't told you an untrue story yet, even if you think I'm a joke. I thought jokes were supposed to be funny, fella. It felt awful the way you said it, like I'm a despicable thing, a disgrace. It was true. I walked like a girl. I acted like a bag. I lived in hell. It killed me long before you bled me out, before you forced my hand, my pen made me answer. I did. I wrote it, wrote your story with an eraser, wrote it like a fucking monster truck made out of books for people who still give a shit, fractured my wrist, the line breaks, the high wire calligraphy, a plank. I walked it into the ocean's appetite, wrote it like a knife in a kite fight, in a zeitgeist, like, like God got punched in the blood, spit out the glitter and stood back up, wrote it out of his body into the desert, the loneliest road in America, drugged myself around, drugged myself around by these feet, by these funny walking faggots. You weren't the first to break my stride, to load my pipe pied sniper. When you offer crystals to a community of men who only want the world to shine. And it, and it magically makes When you offer crystals, <laughs> to a community of men who only who only want the world to shine and it magically makes our walk go away.
Makes God like us. Makes it okay to be a masochist strong enough to want your bullet to make love from the words devils are made of. And then you fit euphoria into it. God damn. It's a good word. <laughs> Drugs. Just about covers everything. Drugs. I'm fucking all in. <laughs> I'm fucking all in. I'll kill myself with that shit. You won't need your insults. You don't need your gun. Not in the rapture. Not when we break the sky. It was an accident the way I walk. The language it takes to survive it. <sighs> language that isn't scared to shit itself in public or edited itself in the rain. <sighs> oh my God. To clean up nice, did you know there's a language that puts egos on the endangered list? Teleports history to the day it retained itself. To the day it retained what it kept forgetting. Isn't scared to go off the high dive or a balcony. You think you can kill me with death? Sharpshooter, gunslinger, Old Testament. I've been asking for death for Christmas since 1984. I've gotten up off the ground more times than Easter. Death's had an open invite since the day I started treating myself like a man I couldn't have. I've been waiting for the Reaper by the bike racks in tears. Never wanted to hurt someone so hard. Somebody, somebody had to find me here. So I did. Took a deep breath. Pulled myself up by the way karma works, like a chameleon, dressed up in your jokes and wrote a song about it. In it, I asked one of the people closest to my father, would he have liked me? Honestly, would my father have, <coughs> would my father have liked me? They said, yeah. Everything except the part about you being gay. Y'all better think peace isn't dangerous anymore. There's nothing a fag can accuse you of for which we haven't already been guilty. Shoot, we liked everything except for that part too. When every single person we have ever known has at some point unwittingly reminded us that who we are is embarrassing. It must be true. I believed you because I love you. The things you said about God, the things you said about God drove me far enough out to find all the right words in the unlikeliest places. I got a speeding ticket on the loneliest road in America. Irony always has a joke to tell. <clears throat> it's not funny if you have to explain it, so I'll speak slowly. <sighs> I made friends with the man who policed me. I asked him to breakfast. He asked me, my boy, has anyone ever told you, you look just like resurrection, dead ringer? Everybody here is the savior, a complex of simple imposters. Just as the vacuum between Orlando and Nevada, death is like winning a rifle. The only reason some of us are still here is because suicide is not an option. Now when you're trying to get God to like you, we were told we'd be cheating if we didn't stick around to get made fun of by our fathers. No one in Pulse cheated. We were on the dance floor at closing time. And the part, <clears throat> and the part that begets hate, and the part that begets the hate that begat you, walked in like a fight with flight, furious and out of ink, thought God was blocking the light. He was a scared bunch, the gunman, along the lonely road, reaper at the bike racks late, couldn't see me until I passed the torch, the torch song trilogy, wrote myself toward him, <sighs> took his breath away, a regal. <laughs> A regal gate, the way a king walks, like a queen or a rising sun, enough bread to feed a country's invisible spaces. Did you really think you could kill us? <sighs> Raining down bullets <laughs> and men.
My boy. You haven't met the survivors yet. Wow. <sighs> My goodness. That was an ambush. Hey, John. Your audio's off, boss. First, I want to say just thank you for um, being vulnerable in front of me and um, just allowing yourself to be. And, you know, uh, I haven't, um, I don't think I've ever seen you or that part of you um, ever. Have I? Maybe uh, once. I think there were one of our, one of the barbecues you did not bring the, um, the uh, turkey legs. I think I cried then. <laughs> That was a, uh, I think those tears were from a different place, but um, what what, uh, what came up for you um, during this uh, poem? Well, it's so personal anyways, and yeah, <clears throat> yeah everything came up for me. And it's, it's a, you know, everything runs right on time, so all the words that I was saying are running parallel in some regard right now. Where were you? Uh, not location, but state when you wrote this. I was actually in Portugal, <laughs> in Porto, Portugal, in, a, in the first apartment when I moved here. Um, it, was, it was a commissioned piece for the, uh, oh, I guess it would be helpful to explain why this piece and why today. Yeah. Um, uh, so when I was here last year, on the fifth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting on June 12th, I got commissioned to write this for the Disarm Hate Project. And, uh, and then, so this this Sunday was June twelfth, so I thought this would be the best time if we're ever going to do this piece. Might as well do it now, and uh, I'm kind of terrified and glad that we did. Why terrified? Why glad? <laughs> I think those speak for themselves. <laughs> I think I think we're, uh, we're we have a no edit policy, which is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm glad to, to get it out of my bones. Something needed to let go there. So, but I think it also uh, it, it it lends nicely into um, the uh, the the touchy subject we talked about this week, which which is all going to unfold before our eyes because I have not put anything into uh, really knowing more than the feelings of what I want to say in today's touchy subject. Um, That's perfect. The touch subject today is, uh, would you say it's never forget? Is that what we're calling it? I think we call it never forget. Yep, and a lot of people yeah, kind of deep yeah. into 9-11, but it could be uh, anything. Knock, knock. Yes, who's there? 9-11. 9-11 who? Dude, you said you'd never forget. Oh, God, you're not even a dad and you've already got the dad jokes. <laughs> that's a, that's a dirt. That's a Derek Brown original during a game of who can tell the worst joke. <laughs> wow. What, um, what under the umbrella of never forget do you want to talk about in this week's touchy subject? 
Why is it important? <clears throat> the aspect of it, the, the reason it came to mind is, uh, whew, I'm still catching my breath. The reason it came to mind, it's things like Pearl Harbor. It yep. is things like the Pulse nightclub shooting and having a, having a sixth anniversary. It includes that uh, as part of the touchy subject. It definitely includes 9-11. It includes especially colonial reenactments. Um, the way we continuously uh, relive the tragedies, and I understand learning from them, um, but there seems to be a rolling and suffering that happens. Uh, it's like forced fun at school, but the opposite. <laughs> it's, mm. it's like forced suffering among among uh, the global community uh, or, or local, depending on what the event is. And so uh, I just feel like there's some things, there's some memories that maybe should be put in moratorium. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, if you, we were to, to um, lay this over your personal story, what would be some of the, the never forgets in your story? <laughs> God, uh, there's so many angles to, to answer that from. You say one, I will say one, and then I'll hit the ball back and you hit the ball back. Or, or I can first. start. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you go first on this. Oh, my first never forget would be um, I remember in the 80s, um, the Asian jokes. I remember my uh, 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 my brother's friend, uh, who was Hispanic, I rolled up and he would say shit like, um, in front of me, but not in front of my brother. Um, man, you, you guys eat that stinky shit and that fish and um, all of that stuff. And I remember um, uh, like at recess trying to hit a baseball and them saying like, hey, chinky, chinky, like that kind of shit. Um, those are some never forgets yeah and then uh and then another one for me would be uh of course my divorce you know Oof. yeah what would be one for you i get mad every time you bring one of those stories back up i can't even imagine well i can't imagine in my own right having been such a squirrely kid and not really wanting everybody to know i was gay but, but kind of advertising itself um, but every time you tell me one of those stories, hey, chinky, chinky, that drives me. Crazy. <laughs> hey, chinky, chinky. Uh, so awful. Yeah, you know, but it, what's interesting is, so I, I, I got those, but I never, um, I was never beaten up. I was never, um, you know, I feel like I, I got, I feel like I um, got very lucky in that I didn't get bullied. Um, yes, I got teased and I've got like verbally, uh, but I never physically got beaten up for, for being Asian. You know what? I've always, I've always coasted on the same sort of gratitude. I was always thankful my name was Buddy and that I wobbled. I don't think I don't think the worst of kids had it in them to beat me up. Yeah. <laughs> a little Buddy, the, the, the gay kid that wobbles. Like, I just don't think anybody wanted to squash something that cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, um, I had some kind of ability, whether it was uh, alding over trash cans or spinning on my head, I had some kind of ability that gave me a free ticket to, Stop. to not harm me. And that's Stop right there. Did you could you ollie trash can? Sideways. The trash can had to be sideways. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> still, still not bad, dude. No, dude. Not I wanted to be all. I wanted to be a professional skater. That was that's why I'm trying to look like Christian Nasoy with the long, long hair these days. Um You're pulling it off. 
that was my thing is I wanted to be a, a professional skater and uh, I was street skating and I was uh, kind of getting into vert and then, and, you know, and then I had to put my toys away. But uh, that was the dream, man. I was obsessed with it. I, you know, I skated for six years and I was also obsessed with it and I could not ollie uh, beyond up a curb. <laughs> well, would, would you, you probably could do other things though, like slide or um, I don't know. Yeah. Do other tricks. Rail, rail slide. You're, you're, rail slides, yeah. If you were to name all the basics one, basic ones, you'd, you'd have my, the mediocrity of my skating career nailed. Nice. <coughs> Excuse me. Give me another never forget that's more recent in your life that you say to yourself, um, I don't want to live there, but I can't forget this part of my life or what happened. I think it's drugs. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's the, the the part in the in this piece about uh, crystal meth that's alluded to or mentioned um, in the gay community. Uh, I think that's a huge one. When you've got a when you've got a drug that does take away shame around sex, um, it takes away all inhibition and it adds euphoria to it. I'm fucking yeah. in and and and. I'm all in until it takes everything. And when it takes everything, it is swift. So uh, it's, it's something that has to be remembered how, how effective it is. Uh, but that said. How, let me ask you this. Uh, as I'm, teetering, I'm teetering on thoughts about the anonymous program right now, which I wholly adore. But there's always been something in me that feels a too much about it, uh, a too much about the, the 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 keeping it alive, the memory alive. Wait, is that the program that you're using for recovery, AA or the uh, anonymous? Or is that what you're talking about? I just got all the anonymous meetings. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Overeaters, sex. <laughs> it, but but it's, it's crystal meth. It's crystal meth anonymous. How um, close is snapping back for you so with addiction is it is it literally one choice one moment or is is there a, enough distance where um you feel like you could run from the monster or is it all, always on your back i think <clears throat> i think all of the above and when you say one choice i think some people make that choice in a moment where they just it's offered and they're just a fuck yes and they're not going to think about it they're going to zero in on it and then there's i've also made choices where i've known two weeks in advance right it's not even i don't think that's a relapse it's just a full-blown choice i've just yeah. known you know i'm going to have this space and time when no one's going to know where i am no one's going to be checking in on me and i can do whatever i want and no one in the world knows me and then those times i would plan it do you think, um, because I know a lot of addicts, you know a lot of addicts, recovering addicts or, or, or not in recovery, do you think that, because um, I find that the common thread with addicts is there's a brilliance in them, there's a genius in them, um, and I don't know if it's wiring or what, or because they live in extremes, but when it comes to things like creativity, art, writing, um, acting, uh, whatever, um, usually the addicts are... Um, which I think is, I think it's distilled into manipulation. So there's a blessing and a curse to it because mm. manipulation's got a bad rap. I think there's a, a beautiful aspects to manipulation where you can talk some great shit about a person behind their back, knowing that it's going to get back to them and make their day. You know, mm. I think there's incredible ways to use manipula manipulation. But when you talk about the brilliance of addicts, 
I think it's also their ability to. Oh, it was in the book The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. <laughs> he talks about uh, clever. Sure, manipulation is clever. It's impressive. Yeah. It can get a lot accomplished. But he was just like, you know, be, be leery of clever. It's dangerous. Yeah, but also um, losing yourself in your art, uh, obsession, um, all of that stuff, the extremes. And a lot of times um addicts uh they feel that's where they feel the most comfort and so if you pick something whether we're talking about um alling over trash cans or poetry or writing or whatever and you get obsessed with it for me at 12 it was legos um you become good at it be just because yeah. of the, the time you're putting in you know it's like bruce lee's uh, 10,000 kicks <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> Is it Bruce Lee's 10,000 kicks or Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours? I, I combined the two. <laughs> it's, 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 you're right. It's, uh, it's, no, I think it, cause Bruce Lee said he's more afraid of someone who knows one kick that has done it, that have done it 10,000 times than those 10,000 kicks that have only done it once or something like that. Yeah, fair enough. Don't challenge me, buddy. But it is also I mean, it is also Malcolm X's ten thousand hours. Yes, you're right. From the book, hey, clear this up for me now because sometimes I'll reference the book and I'll just say the I'll mumble the name of the book out of my mouth, hoping it sounded right. But clarify for me right here and now: is it Outliers or Outliers? Oh fuck! I, it's it's like tomato tomato. I think. It's okay. Out, outliner out. I don't know, dude. Well, don't it's an outlier, right? Yeah, it's an outlier. outlier. It's an outlier, right? Addicts are outliers by um by design no anyway design we're all we're all just floating around in this giant chaos you know pulling the attractive elements to us <laughs> and, and making up these identities i think we're designing them by accident yeah well the butterfly effect of what we pull in of, the, of what we choose to pull from the chaos into ourselves to develop our identities what they ha what happens when they all mingle together looks like an accident, but it's just one big domino effect. What's another reason why we should not forget? So the big one for me is my divorce. And the reason why I say never forget is because um, at 35, I got divorced, had nothing, no friends, uh, never did a squat. Like I, I, I had nothing, man, no money. I was broke in K-Town. And so not forgetting um, it was, it's not just to, to like, feel sorry for myself. It's not for, it's never forgetting like where I started. And then from there, um, even my computer was bought by my mom because I was broke and she bought me a little white MacBook. And on my computer, I started a Tumblr and that was the beginning. Right. And so, um, I never want to forget that because, um, as I grow, you know, as I uh, sell books or whatever happens, I want to know where it started. So um, I'm always grounded in, in that way, you know? And so I think that's why it's important to never forget. Um, so well, now, we, don't, we don't drift too far from what's important. Or our what, are some, what are some reasons that we should? Do you know what I'm asking here? And I think it's really the, the contentious part of, of, of the touchy part of today's topic is some reasons maybe we should forget. Well, well I would say because um, um you don't want to keep re-traumatizing <laughs> yeah that's one reason you know the the holding pattern the the whole uh law of attraction the um oh my god i almost said the word manifest um there, there's a, by the way uh there's a few words that buddy um 
is repelled by. So it sounds like manifestation. You said, one. don't say it, John. Come on, not in the middle of this. I said webinar, and he. Oh come I on! I said we webinar. <laughs> Web it's his. It's like it's like his fucking garlic oh. vampire. Um, God, why does the word webinar bother you so much? Because just because right. it's so cheesy, it's so salesy. That's what it is. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my least favorite ones that come to mind. The word teaser. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, webinar. Oh my God, it really makes me cringe. And uh, spritzer. Uh, um, we'll leave it at those. We'll leave spritzer. It at those. What's wrong with spritzer? Well, I, it's. I think that's internalized homophobia, John. The, uh, <laughs> the spritzer. But and, and I can remember the guy that said it that made me hate it. So I think it's a very isolated incident. You know, um, there aren't many words I, I don't like, but the one that kind of makes me cringe is panties. I've always, I don't know what it is. Just say underwear, I don't, something about panties. I, I can't stand that word. Enclosure. Closure. You don't like the word closure? Well, I'm, I don't want to fight it or anything. I just don't want to hang out with it. Is it because it's too simple and you don't believe in it? I don't think I want to go to bat with the concepts, but I just think... It's here's why I don't like the word closure because it's equivalent to <clears throat> excuse me. I feel like the word closure is lives in the same realm as when the dude who wears too much loose clothing and um uh and is aggravated teaching yoga with a bun on his head starts every sentence with the word so. <laughs> you're you're really borderlining a, a caricature of me now that I have long hair and also uh, sometimes to put in the bun, uh, but I don't start off with uh, that word. So I've never seen you as an agitated yoga instructor, though. That's true. That's true. Um, <coughs> you want to talk about our revelations of the week? I do. I do. I want you to go first this week because man, I'm nervous about talking about mine because. I haven't tried to get it out of my body verbally yet. I only know that conceptually my revelation. By the way, Buddy's echo is from him right now, uh, sitting on the toilet because hours ago he had uh, two two ham and cheese croissants and some milk, which doesn't agree with him. And so we are doing this podcast because I didn't want to miss it. He's on the toilet right now as he is doing the poem on the toilet. Taking a duke. Taking a duke. Uh, and he's still there. So uh, my revelation of the week is this. So as you are um, on a toilet in Portugal, I'm um, in, in um, a, a house cabin in the woods, Idlewild. And as you know, we have this vacay home. And my revelation is, so we've been here for a week, the importance of environment, meaning, dude, my body here for some reason, instead of LA, it's so calm and it takes a beat. And um, I see life in color here. I mean, yes, there's uh, sunsets and trees and all that. Um, I grew up in the concrete jungle, man. I grew up, you know, in the city. I, I never traveled. Uh, I, I never, no one ever took me fishing. Um, I'm scared of the woods. And so at 49, <laughs> this is the first time where when it gets dark, you can't see your, your hand in front of your face because there's no city lights. And uh, man, the environment here is really changing me. And, and I love it. And it's showing me the, the, uh, um, how much weight the environment has has on us as humans, you know, and this is probably um, you probably could relate to this because you went from Los Angeles to Portugal. Um, although, although you're you're also living in a big city, though, right? You're not like in a. Yeah, what was the name of that city, John? Elizabeth. You live in Elizabeth. 
<laughs> where where they uh, applied uh, applied to sunsets. I live in Porto, John. I live in Porto, and Lisbon is three is three hours south. <clears throat> uh, I grew up I grew up mostly in Texas, so I, I I definitely jam with what you're saying. And in all regards, having moved uh, from there and then in, into Seattle and then to Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, I'm still in city environment. It's all. Do you agree with me? Do you? Th so is I mean, you 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 gotta. You gotta agree that the energy of uh, Portugal is very different oh, yeah. from Los Angeles, right? So, as an yeah. as an artist, how is that affecting you? Is it affecting you in a good way or bad? It's infected. It's it's affecting me in both of those ways. Uh, good because I'm inspired by everything, and bad because I just walk around being inspired by everything and not doing anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> they had they've had they've had I mean, these people have had since eleven twenty three to build their shit up. So there's some detail orientation here. <laughs> Every building is incredible. Every building, the tiles, it's, it's a, it, it, and yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it last week or that there's a, a, there's a place, a 10 minute walk from me, 20 minutes walk from me. It's a, on a hillside and there's a bridge that joins uh, Porto and Gaia, the city across from Porto. And you just walk across the bridge into Gaia, which I think means mother earth anyways. And um, there's a, there's a hillside and all the Portuguese, not all, making it sound like a storybook now, but hundreds or thousands of people every night gather to watch the sunset. Yeah, it's mind blowing. And when the sun goes down over their beautiful cities, they cheer. <laughs> like, like, is it to say, good job, son, you did it. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, I, um, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, that just sounds like a scene from a movie. It sounds fabricated. Well, it sounds like if it was Los Angeles, it feels like everybody would have a 10 hour commute from Echo Park down to Venice Beach yeah. just, just to try and make it happen. Yeah. So that's my revelation. My revelation is the importance of environment and how that impacts us. Um, I think we are uh, we we minimize. Um, and, and listen, it's not just the environment as far as like the woods and stuff. Um, it could be your environment as far as the people you hang out with. It could be your environment as far as you know who you surround yourself with, where you work out. That's a huge thing, right? Part yeah. of my, my part of my rebirth was going from um, a twenty-four hour fitness to just doing biceps um, and trying to look good and looking like a pigeon because I never did a, did a squat in my life. Had these little skinny legs and you know um, some biceps. To um, community fitness, to functional fitness, you know, and even that environment was very therapeutic for me. So that's my revelation. Is now, is, is it a Rumor, or is it correct that you went to, to the California? You were one of the finalists in the CrossFit Games in California in some regard. Is that no, correct? that's an exaggerated. Um, that's exaggerated. Um, I, I made it to regionals once when I uh, 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 was old enough to be in masters when um, the weights were still not that crazy. Uh, so that's very different than what you said. But I like what you said better. Maybe we should spread that rumor. <laughs> Happy to do it, John. <laughs> All right. Yeah, what's your, what's your revelation of the week? All right. <clears throat> it could be so short and sweet. Maybe it will be. It's never been that. Uh, I, mean, I wrote a note here somewhere just in case I forgot how to start this. The problem has never been whether or not I could do it. I think I think I've been living under the conflict. That I think most people are just afraid they can't do it. Right. And I don't think that's true. Because What's it just, true? 
it hit me this week. I know I can do it. <clears throat> I know what I know how hustle pays off. I know how uh, I know what I bring to the table. I know what I choose to do. I'm going to be able to. I am going to be able to do well. So it's not that uh, whether or not I could do it. I think there's some guy in me that wants to know that isn't sure he can't do it. And so he's trying to. <laughs> it's not that I couldn't. It's not whether or not I couldn't could do it. It's whether or not I couldn't. I don't believe. I, I don't think I've ever believed I couldn't. So why not take drugs for a lot of years and just <laughs> see if we can't do it? <laughs> so there's a uh, fear, a fearlessness in that you're saying. I largely and listen. I mean, obviously, I live with a, a huge amount of fear, um, as anyone does. But uh, how how are you? How are you so fearless in that area? But when it comes to words uh, and art, you're a perfectionist. I'm not sure. I draw the which to me is lined with fear. Um. Wait, say that again, because my mind was was locked up in another place. How are you so fearless when it comes to, um, like you mentioned, drugs and other things? Um, you know that you can, and then when it comes uh, to when it comes to art and uh, you know words and all, all this other stuff, um, there's perfectionism. Hmm. It seems like two different topics to me, but the first the first one is uh, the fearlessness with with. You know, I just wanted to escape my body from as long as I can remember. I didn't want this body. This was not right. not it for me. And so drugs were the best way to get out of that. And then, mm -hmm. and then, you know, Sigmund Freud, the goal of all living things is death. Uh, so it seems only natural to me to, um, to, to move in that direction, especially if there's these items, we'll call them, <laughs> that can make you feel euphoric on the way. And so I don't think there was ever a strong fear of death around me. I mean... There was a, a time during the <clears throat> during the worst of it. That there were six emergency rooms in one year, and you would think after one, you just wouldn't you do whatever it took to not go back. But oh, I didn't know. Is, I didn't know you went to emergency room six times. Yeah, well, I lived a block oh. and a half away, so sometimes I'd just go check. <laughs> oh, you you had a membership. <laughs> you, like, you were you were on payroll. You were there so much. Sometimes I was like, well, I missed that lane. I'm, I could just go check to make sure the arm's not going to come off. <laughs> but yeah, so after enough of those not scaring a person, it's never death that's the threat. So I never considered death a tragedy anyways. Um, uh, it's going to happen to each of us. It's guaranteed. Um, um, take me to the second part of the question, though. Um perfectionism i think is lined with fear so in some parts of your life you're fearless uh and then the other parts of your life you're very afraid i think so when it comes to oh wow you know what i was just talking to somebody i don't know how how much weight this carries with it but i was just saying to someone the other day i hate being made fun of i fucking can't stand it like i know everybody walks on and is is like you know who cares what they think and says all these things to me, but I fucking hate being made fun of in, in, in a way that's... Um, who who likes being make, made fun of, buddy? I think there are people who pretend it rolls off their back or who oh, can right. let it roll off their right. back. Right. <clears throat> From uh, Having been made fun of for as long as I can remember, when there's, when there's an element of cruelty involved, I can't fucking stand being made fun of. So 
in writing, I mean, let's look at let's look at this overcompensating guy you're talking to right now who grew up in Texas, gay, and ended up becoming a poet. I'm I'm an easy target, and so uh, I think there was a lot of overcompensation in writing, getting to the perfectionism aspect. Writing is the one place where I knew I could uh, take as long as I needed to make it perfect. That I could, uh, um, that I could, that I wasn't gonna, that I wasn't gonna show up uh, without it being ex exactly what I wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't gonna be finished until it was exactly what I wanted. So sometimes it would take a week, and sometimes it would take months to get so, it. To get so, so you're, you're, but let me let me say this. Let me say this real quick before I forget. Is when I would write, there's a secret little thing that would happen often in the back of my brain, and it has to do with having done poetry readings over the years. Sometimes it bars, and sometimes. Poets being self-absorbed narcissists often, uh, they just don't cons they don't read the room. And I remember a, a woman in Portland. We were performing at a bar, and she did a, a rape poem. Now, granted, most of these shows people pay, and they know what they're coming to see. Some places are just sort of supporting the artists and giving them a free venue. So there's going to be other patrons there who didn't know what they were coming to see. And this is one of those places. And there were some, you know, there were some frat boys in the back of the bar doing their thing. They weren't altogether jerks, but this woman does a rape poem, and you know the whole bar is like, "The fuck, I'm trying to play some pool here," yeah. and, and and I could and I could see the frat boys uh, having to snicker, being forced to snicker, um, in their own right from their own perspectives because they just fucking wanted beer, man, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, not to def any, but <clears throat> when I write. Uh, there's an element in some regard of, of, the, of the frat boys in the back of the room. And when I say what I have to say, I know that they, they're not going to laugh without checking themselves. Ooh, that's powerful. So your perfectionism is a way for you to... Um not get made fun of but not only that but it's a punch your perfection is a way for you to swing back it's it's a oh, what's the word it's a uh level, levels the playing field mm. and here and here i am um making fun of your perfectionism <laughs> or here i am here i am uh trying to uh, get no, you to not, trying to get not trying to get you to not be a perfectionist because i think it's it actually costs a lot it costs a lot perfectionism costs so much yeah but perfect probably isn't what you think it is <laughs> it costs so much man so much and 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 you uh this is probably why we're such good friends is because you are the least perfectionist person i've ever hung out with you just what is your what is your uh build build the bus while you drive it yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, we're not good friends, so so stop, stop there. Uh, number two, uh, yeah, dude, I'm not wired to be perfect, man. And I think it's part of my ADD. I don't know what it is, but I can't. Like you said, you know, you could sit three months with a sentence. Fuck, I can't even sit three minutes with a sentence, you know. So, um, I and, and it's funny because I I used to think that there was something wrong with me. I was a half-ass, an almost guy. Me not being perfectionistic made me less than um but it, but in the last five years i realized that that that's become my superpower is to not be perfect um the uh the uh the perfection bib i've swung around and now it's a little little cape 
I... <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy, uh, I want to say something um, as, as we end here. You know what I noticed about, uh, about these episodes and about this podcast? And maybe it should be called Assembly Not Required because the way that we engage, we just throw shards of kind of um, dialogue and information, and the audience has to put it together. Because some of the shit we say, I, I, they're probably like, what are they talking about? It doesn't yeah. make sense. But then it kind of does, but then it kind of doesn't. Uh, we are not a blanket, ladies and gentlemen. We are a quilt. <laughs> It's, it's just, yeah, there's not a, we, we came with the, the idea of structure, but it's not a linear situation. There, there are, there is structure in that there's always a poem, right? There's always um, a touchy subject. A touchy yes, subject. That we're going to touch. And then there's always revelations. After that, it's just a wobbly plane. I think we steered pretty clear. I think I, I think I'll speak for myself. I steered clear of today's touchy subject in so many ways. Stayed clear? What do you mean? In this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. No, let's not bring it back now. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm just going to get myself in trouble. It's a, it's just the whole never forget thing. Yeah. No, we covered it pretty well. We covered it pretty well. I accept whatever happens. And I am happy that we got to um, hear you deliver that poem in a way where, um, man, the, the, just a, the spectrum of it. Whee! Emotion. Yeah. So we got to put that in a little time capsule, an audio time capsule. So thank you for that. Um, and then also we got to exercise, uh, more your right hand to hit the mute button when you're coughing and stuff, but it's all, you know, it's, it's pedaling, 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 like, because we're in people's ears and when, when we cough, they, um, um, they may cringe. Had to like cough a bunch of people today. Hey buddy, thank you for the, uh, conversation and, um, if you're listening, um, we are trying to give you an experience, not information. Correct, buddy? Yes, correct. We do have a lot of us, uh, awesome topics coming, though, like serendipity. That's one of our favorite topics as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. All right. I'll see you next week. Next week. Cool.